Good evening, church. Another fine Wednesday evening. Hope that you're doing okay and that you're well. Uh, remember to practice social distancing, wear your mask, those kinds of things. Pray uh, for the church and for the area, for the world during this pandemic. <clears throat> Tonight, I wanted us to look at uh, avoiding backsliding. Uh, since we can't meet as normal, there's always a danger that maybe we're not keeping up quite the way we should with uh, some of our studying, some of our praying, different things of that nature. I hope that's not true, but there's some things to avoid. And uh, there's basically three principles that I find in the life of David that will help us to do this. And it's from the worst time of his life found in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and chapter 12. We'll start with chapter 11, verse 1. It says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. Must have been taking an afternoon nap. And walked out on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David had inquired, sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite, one of David's mighty men? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, uh, for she was cleansed from her impurity. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived so that she sent and told David and said, I am with child. And David sent to Joab saying, Send me to Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. When Uriah had come, David asked him how Joab was doing, how the people were doing, and how the war prospered. And David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house and a gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord and did not go down to his house. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said, Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel and Judah are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go down to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Uriah was a lot more honorable than David. Then David said to Uriah, Wait here today also, and tomorrow I'll send you uh, uh, to depart. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that next day, and the next, and now David called him, and he ate and drank before him, and he made him drunk. And at evening he went to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Uriah needs to be set at the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab, and some of the people, the servants of David, fell, and Uriah the Hittite died also. Let's pray. Father, as we look at this, uh, 
teach us your spiritual principles on how to avoid uh, uh, becoming backslidden. Help us to learn from this. Help us to learn all the lessons you'd have us for to learn and grow thereby. Uh, you be glorified in our midst. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. See, we need to understand that the Bible portrays people just as they really are. That's one of the reasons I know that it's true, because even the heroes are depicted warts and all. It's sort of like uh, the young man, Jason. He was 11 years old. He was spending the summer with his grandma. His grandma went to Sunday school every day and said, come on, we're going to Sunday school. Well, Jason's family didn't even go to church, and so he could think of nothing more boring than sitting around with a bunch of older ladies reading an old book. But the passage of scripture they read were out of 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11 and 12 about David's sin and Bathsheba and Nathan the prophet confronting him. And Jason had never heard anything like this. On the way home, his grandmother said, well, Jason, what did you think? His response was classic. He said, I think I need to start reading my Bible more. As I said, the Bible depicts people warts and all, and the old story is so full of emotion. No story is told so clearly and tragically as this story in the Bible. And <clears throat> we need to understand that uh, from the life of David, you can learn a lot of lessons. But there's one thing that stands out, and it's this. We must confess and repent of our sin to have a right relationship with God. We must Confess and repent of our sin to have a right relationship with God. How did David, the mighty man of God, a man of God's own heart, after God's own heart, get to this point? What a mess. What a disaster. Well, there are several things that he needed to do that he didn't need to do, that he did not do. There are several things we must guard following his example. The first spiritual principle is this. Be where you're supposed to be doing what God has given you to accomplish. Be where you're supposed to be doing what God has given you to accomplish. David's whole sordid affair with Bathsheba and the subsequent murder of his friend Uriah, her husband, and the death of the unborn child or the child that was to be born to them. All of this was a dark stain on David. He had known nothing but success after success. He was at the pinnacle of his popularity, the pinnacle of his power, and it all came crashing down. Now, he didn't have to die for his sins, as we see later. Nathan said he didn't have to. But you need to understand that from this point on, it was always hard for the victories and harder in his family life. The sword never left his family because of his infidelity because of his adultery but again all of this could have been avoided in one simple way we're to be or supposed to be doing what god has given us to accomplish notice verse one it happened in the spring of the year at the time when kings go out to battle that david sent joab and his servants with him and all israel and they destroyed the people of ammon besieged rabbah but David, there's that word, but David remained in Jerusalem. Do we understand if David would have been where he was supposed to be, doing what God had given him to do, this never would have happened. 
In David's time, the armies were either foot soldiers or maybe some chariots and horses and things of that nature. And so the, the kings during the springtime would go out to make war with their armies. Uh, the spring rains by now were over. So it was easier to fight. You didn't have to deal with the mud. It was easier to pe put people into the fields where your army would have to camp. So it was a natural process. Also, the winter crops uh, that they had planted earlier were now maturing. And so there was lots of food and you could get it abundantly and cheaply to feed your armies. Do we understand that? Wherever they were going, uh, <clears throat> they could get there. They'd have the food to stay there. During this time, Israel was in a long-standing war with the Ammonites. If you read chapter 10, it talks about this war and describes the battles and the warfare. The Ammonites had hired the Armenians for their help so they might stand up to David and Israel. Uh, it's a long, large war. It said David sent his general Joab and the troops to fight, but, but he remained in Jerusalem. David was in the wrong place, doing the wrong thing. He wasn't where he as a king should have been. We've all heard the old saying, I was just at the right place at the right time. Do we understand sin often starts or backsliding often starts when we're at the wrong place at the wrong time? David should have been where the army was. David should have been where a king was supposed to be. He was not. If he had been, none of this would have had a chance to happen. Proverbs 4, uh, verses 24 through 27, says something about that. Uh, Proverbs chapter 4, verses 24 through uh, 27. <clears throat> uh, we'll start with verse 23. It says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. David wasn't keeping his heart with all diligence. He wasn't accepting his God-given responsibility. The blessings of being the king that David enjoyed were because God gave him the responsibility to shepherd the flock. He was not keeping his heart. His mind was messed up. His heart was messed up. And then it says, put away from you a deceitful mouth and put perverse lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight ahead and your eyelids look right before you. Ponder your the path of your feet, let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or the left. Remove your foot from evil. David was guilty of stinking thinking. David was not where he needed to be. Uh, <clears throat> we need to ask, are we guarding our steps? Are where we are supposed to be, are we there? Are we doing what God has given us to accomplish? If not, why not? What's wrong? Are we where we're supposed to be spiritually? Are we keeping up our devotion time, our prayer and Bible study? Are we practicing ministry? Are we doing the things that God has given us to do even during this time of pandemic? Are we seeking Jesus in a special way? Are we praying for Christian brothers and sisters around the world? Are we praying for the pandemic that God would gain the glory? Are we praying that the Holy Spirit will come and bring renewal and revival to God's church and to our nation and the world? If not, why not? We're called to do that. God has given us this to accomplish during this time. 
Are we where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to accomplish? If not, we're in danger of sliding backwards. We're in danger of sin. The second truth that I see comes from chapter 11, verse 2. Guard what your eyes see and what your mind absorbs. Guard what your eyes see and what your mind absorbs. It says this in, chapter, in verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed. The thing about it, David has been fighting a lot of wars. He had all the responsibilities of the kingdom. He might have needed a vacation. He might have needed a break. He might have needed a nap. Those things in and of themselves are not bad things unless it goes against God's known will for our lives. We're to do what we're supposed to do, being what we're supposed to do, and we're to guard our eyes and not let our mind absorb the wrong things. And so he is in the wrong place at the wrong time, doing the wrong thing. He gets up, he goes out onto the roof, it says. He said he walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. To behold means he stared. To behold means he looked where he wasn't supposed to be looking. He let his mind absorb the things that wasn't supposed to absorb. He began to plan and to plot, and his heart desired what he wasn't supposed to desire. Think about it now. Here's the king. He already had multiple wives and multiple concubines. That tells me his thinking was already messed up. But it wasn't enough. Maybe he was bored. I don't know. There's no excuse. And here he is, and so he sent to inquire about this woman. He got the report back. This is, this is Uriah the Hittite's wife, one of his mighty men of valor. He knew him. They, they, they were probably friends. It's one of his mighty men that had helped David all through till he ascended up to the throne. And that should have been the end of it. He should have confessed right there that he'd been lusting. He should have confessed right there. He looked and let his mind absorb the things he wasn't supposed to look upon. And that should have been the end of it. But he has to pursue it and sin for her. Pursue it and commit adultery. And then it's found out with a child. You see, we need to understand what is going on here. Sin always takes us further than we intend to go. He looked, he longed, he lunched, and he lost. Do we understand that? He wasn't where he should have been. His mind wasn't where it was supposed to be. It was not doing what he was supposed to be doing, so it let him do things he would have never dreamed possible. Job 31.1 says, I have made a covenant with my eyes. How then could I look at a young woman? David should have made the same covenant, and so should we. For the ladies of the church, this is something you don't want to hear, but men are visual. I don't think ladies understand how visual they are. Uh, we need to guard our eyes and not let our minds absorb what we see. And that is our responsibility, but your responsibility is not dress in a way to distract our eyes. Now that's male chauvinist, I know it is, but that's it. Proverbs chapter 5 warns us, men. In Proverbs chapter uh, 5, um, beginning with verse 15, it's a long passage, so stay with me. 
The Lord says, drink water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. So your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them only be your own and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice with the wife of your youth. Let her satisfy you. Be enraptured with her love. For why should you be enraptured with a moral woman or embraced in the arms of a seductress? Verse 21 says, For the ways of man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. His own iniquities entrap the wicked man, and he is, a he is caught in the cords of his sin. He shall die for lack of instruction. In the greatness of his folly, he shall go astray. Do we understand that we are responsible Men, for what we look at, for what our mind absorbs. And it doesn't just have to be in this area of sexual sin. I have to watch, I love action stuff, whether it's westerns or spy stuff, but I want to shoot them up, bang them up, hit them in the face. But the problem with that is that violence feeds into my old nature, not my new nature. And so I can't watch those things as much as I want to, because I do like them. But I have to guard my heart. I have to guard my eyes. And even if I watch it, I have to say, that, that part's wrong. That's too much. Turn it off and leave it alone or whatever I do. And, and guard my, what my mind absorbs. Otherwise, I'm in danger. And it can be the same with all of us. Uh, whatever it is that we feed our minds on is what our heart starts spouting out our mouths. Do we understand that? Again, uh, guard your heart with all diligence because out of it proceed the issues of life. Make that covenant. It used to be that pornography was looked down upon in our nation and it was hard to get and embarrassing if somebody caught you doing it. Now you can do it with a click of a button on your computer or your iPhone. Men, don't do that. Have a filter. Be Have an accountability partner, your wife or somebody, to check your emails. Don't be there. Don't be like the fellow one time told me. Well, nobody knows. Nobody's going to find out, preacher. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't hurt anybody but me. His marriage ended up destroyed because it included more than just him. It ruined his relationship with his kids. It ruined his relationship with his church. It ruined his relationship with God until he years later came back in repentance and came and told me that it is his fault and he had made a mistake. I was no longer his pastor at that time, but he wanted me to know. So, men and women, guard what your eyes see and what your mind absorbs because it will come out in your heart. The third truth that I see is this. It's probably the most important. Don't allow your sin, your sin, my sin. Don't allow our sin to go unchecked. Repent as quickly as possible. We find that in chapter 12, Nathan the prophet gets a word from God. He approaches David. Not only does he approach David, but as he approaches David, uh, he gives him a little parable about a guy who had one sheep and a rich man had many and a visitor came to stay and rather than prepare one of the sheep he already had he stole the or he took by force the the, the poor man's little ewe gave it to the traveler and David said this man deserves to die and Nathan the prophet boldly stands and points his finger and says David you are the man 
God says, I've given you everything. If it weren't enough, I'd give you more. And you did this privately, but I'm going to make your punishment public. David said he deserved to die. Nathan said, you're not going to die. But because of this, two things are going to happen. First of all, the child that is to be born to you will die. Because of your sin and Bathsheba's sin, the child will suffer death. And the sword will never leave your house, and it never did. David had his own sons trying to kill him, killing one another, all right? Because the sword will never leave his house. But to David's credit, when Nathan confronted him, he confessed his sins and repented. That confession is found in Psalm chapter 51. Psalm 51 verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. He didn't blame it on Bathsheba bathing in public. He didn't blame it on uh, somebody not keeping him where he's supposed to be. I am a sinner. The devil didn't make me did it, do it. I did it. Then he says in verse 4, Against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Murder, adultery, cover up against God and only God? No, against Bathsheba and Uriah too. But it was against God because God had chosen him. It was against God because God had led him and protected him all these years. God had given him everything his hearts could ever desire, and yet he snubbed it all for an affair. As you read down through here, he admits that he's a sinner. Okay? Uh, he cries out in verses 1 through 14, really for a new heart. Created me a new heart and clean hands, O Lord. He came to the assurance of restoration in verses 18 and 19 in Psalm 51. And to, to end it, he, he, he really confesses all of his sin. And he says, I am going to teach sinners in the congregation so they can avoid this is what I think. In 1939, David Orr penned these words. For the need of a new heart. He said, Search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, and know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be some wicked way in me. Cleanse me from every sin and set me free. I praise thee, Lord, for cleansing me from sin. Fulfill thy word and make me pure within. Fill me with fire where once I burn with shame. Grant my desire, magnify your name. Lord, take my life and make it wholly thine. Fill my poor heart with thy great love divine. Take all I will, my passion, self, and pride. I now surrender, Lord, in me abide. A Holy Ghost, revival comes from thee. Send a revival and start the work in me. Thy word declares that will supply our need. For blessings now, O Lord, I humbly plead. If you're in danger of backsliding, Come back to God. If you have backslidden, come back to God. If you don't know God, come to Him for the first time and accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray and we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you how this challenges all of us.
and it challenges us to watch our spiritual lives and keep ourselves anew in you and not to reject the things you have for us to do. And so, Father, during this time when we can't support each other the way we normally would, keep us safe, keep us away, don't let the devil defeat us. In Christ's name I pray, amen.